We want to tell you about the Culture Proof Conference happening in July of 2024. Yes, Culture Proof Conference happening July 18th to the 20th in Bartlett, Tennessee at Faith Baptist Church. It's going to be a great time. We have some great speakers talking about some great topics, and we're just looking for the Lord to, to truly move in our midst. This year's theme is resist. resist. As we look at what's going on in the culture, we want to be reminded of what our brother James wrote in James chapter 1, verse mm-hmm. 27b, where he told us to be unstained by this world, to keep ourselves unstained by this world. And one of the ways that we're going to equip you to do that is to alert you to what's happening in the world, alert you to what's happening in the culture, and also provide an actual practical response that keeps us unstained by the world. We have some great speakers coming out, Dr. Kathy Cook. We're going to have Dr. Taryn Dames. We have have some great things happening, like some breakout sessions. We have culture-proof kids, culture-proof teens. It's something for the whole family and so you want to register we're going to give out more information is coming but you want to register the registration will start in february so just be on the lookout for that culture proof conference 2024 in bartlett tennessee at faith baptist church we are super excited more information as we get closer make sure you stay connected Culture Proof is brought to you by BJU Press Homeschool. If you've come to homeschooling or you're thinking of homeschooling to preserve a solid biblical worldview in your children, you should consider the curriculum we trust to help with biblical worldview formation. BJU Press Homeschool is here for you and with you as you center Christ in the education of your kids. Visit our friends today at BJUPressHomeschool.com. That's BJUPressHomeschool.com, the premier sponsor of the Culture Proof podcast. All right, welcome to Culture Proof, everybody. This is, I'm, I'm super excited about this particular uh, Culture Proof because we have um, our very own Dr. Kathy Cook. Well, she's not ours. <laughs> the Lord has given her as a gift to the body of Christ. Yes. You know, not just us, but um, <laughs> we value her so much. We feel like she's our very own Dr. Kathy Cook. <laughs> and uh, so often when we're talking to her about issues that pertain to the family, that pertain to children and grandparents, mm-hmm. and certainly parents, um, we feel like there's so many personal questions that we have. And we know that so many of our listeners have personal questions. And in fact, they pop them on the lives after the fact, after the videos have been posted. That's right. And so we thought, man, it'd be really great to get Dr. Kathy on to just do a Q&A with us. Yeah, that's right. I mean, when when we have a show, we post that Dr. Kathy has been on, there, there are comments, there are questions about People what want has been more. said. So <laughs> we figured we'll do like a Q&A tonight. So um, you can fire away. We can ask questions. We can talk about some of these issues, you know, and get... Dr. Kathy's wisdom. Yes. She's very wise. The Lord has really blessed her. So it's going to be good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I want to just kick off with Dr. Kathy. Here's the question that always starts the live. Um, what did you have for dinner? <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So my brother and sister-in-law host a small group here in their home. I'm in Atlanta with my brother and his wife. Okay. Uh, he married one of my best friends. I have a great relationship with both of them. Oh, I'm that's here for awesome. awesome. I'm just privileged. And they host a small group every Tuesday night. And they decided tonight to do an appetizer dinner and then like a dessert buffet. Oh, so wow. I did, I did, you're my eighth interview of the day. I've been talking oh, all whoa. day. Wow. An, an amazing day. And so I went into it late after being live on the radio in, in Detroit thinking there'll be nothing left. 
it was a feast to behold <laughs> of all these really fun appetizers. So all the wow. different flavors and sensations in the mouth. Wow. And then just a few cookies. And my brother is famous for homemade peppermint ice cream. So Ooh. it dessert was good. So and thanks <laughs> for having me on. And could I just say that you're mine? Like you think I'm yours? You're mine. <laughs> <laughs> you, I brag on you everywhere I go. What an that honor. You you two have an understanding of what's going on, a passion for God and family, and a communication ability that just cuts through the nonsense noise. Mm. So thank you for what you're doing. I'm oh. so grateful to be friends with you. Thank you, friend. Thank you. Um, we appreciate that so you. much. Now, I, I'm going to have to learn more about the peppermint ice cream. Yes. Like I'm gonna, okay. that's, that sounds That unique. sounds, yeah. I mean... <laughs> I'm there for that. It probably is like a family secret, so I won't press for like a public <laughs> recipe, you know. Um, we had a quick gumbo. I will just tell everyone. So it's when, <laughs> when I say a quick gumbo, it was I had I had chicken, but it wasn't enough chicken for like each person to have like their own piece. And so how do you make it stretch? You cut it up and then you put it in a gravy, right? <laughs> and then add some other meat to it and then serve it over rice. And in New Orleans, we call that gumbo. It works. It was I, it was really good. All right, Dr. Kathy, that. I'm going to start the questions and then I am going to um, bring on, we'll just <laughs> pop on some of the questions as mm -hmm. they come into the live. But I wanted to get started with an article that we read uh, in the Wall Street Journal. And I actually thought about your podcast that you do with your producer, Wayne. And I thought, my goodness, you know, you guys were recently talking about the 5,000 interruptions that our kids are suffering through when it comes to technology. As a technology expert, you see this firsthand. You know that parents are struggling with it. And I was reading this article from the Wall Street Journal, and it was talking about how middle school boys in particular are falling behind and they're really struggling because of all of the interruptions that it's actually rewiring their brain. They can't organize things like their backpacks. They don't know how to hold a train of thought. They don't know how to concentrate. <laughs> and this really struck me, one, because we have a 13-year-old boy, but I wondered <laughs> how you might advise parents as we read these articles and you discuss this on your podcast. Um, but I think in some ways, it's still just not really sticking for us what is really the danger in what's going on with our kids and technology today, in particular with our young boys? Yeah, I appreciate that question because a lot of people do think, oh, they're going to grow out of their fill-in-the-blank, what appears to be laziness or distractibility yeah. or ADD-ness, which is not a diagnosis, it's a behavior. Um, mm. And they're not, now some, in some cases, the diagnosis is real. But um, yeah, we're thinking they'll grow out of it. You know, it's okay. It's not okay. Uh, technology is rewiring the brain. Um, multitasking isn't possible. People think they can multitask. It's not possible. You're semi-tasking. You're mm. going from this to this to this to this. And every time you shift, you're losing that concentration that that brain thought gets interrupted. So you can you can research that. It's called you know semi-tasking. So people say, oh, I multitask really well. Well, you think you do, but I wonder if you would do everything better if you did one thing at a time. You'd be more mm. efficient, you'd be more accurate, you'd be more careful, et cetera. So um, I think we get off of our devices, Mickey. What do we do? If we have a 13-year-old boy at home who is distracted, who can't carry a thought, who can't organize a backpack, yelling doesn't help. Mm. Could I just say that louder? Yelling That's good. doesn't help. It's really good. You know? And so maybe we teach them, here's a way to create it more organized. You know, Mickey, really, how do you, or what, what does the heavy stuff go in the bottom? Mm. Or does the most important stuff go on the right or the left? Like, if, like in my case, in my, in my purse, my sunglasses are always in the same place. 
so that when I'm in the car and I want them quickly, I know exactly where to put my hand without having to look. Mm -hmm. And that's just discipline on my part. I don't want them falling to the bottom of my purse where then I'm distracted. And, you know, that's just a simple example. But can we train and teach things like that? Of course we can. But we have to love and like enough to make the effort to do so and get them to be teachable and to care enough, right? Mm -hmm. It's stewardship of their stuff. You can approach it biblically. It's stewardship of their stuff. Mm. You know, that's really good. And and I want to go back to something that you said, because I think it's important to run a highlighter over this, Dr. Kathy. You mentioned yelling. Um, <laughs> what about if it's not what about if it's not yelling? What about if it's we go into parent protection mode and we just start taking things away? And I will just admit I'm guilty of this. Like when I listen, when I listen to you and Wayne talking about 5,000 interruptions in a day and, and I think about the way that our kids' brains are being rewired, um, I start shutting things down. Like, I'm like, you know what? Enough of this. Give me that. You know, I, I feel like rediscovering the book of the law. What's that over there? Like, what do we, you know? And so I don't know if that's effective or not. What are your, what are your thoughts on that to parents who want to step in and maybe not verbally respond to what's going on? They start practically doing stuff. Is that even helpful? It could be, you know, the, pra- I, what I think is extremely helpful and you, I know you both agree is that children suffer the consequences of their foolishness. You cannot overprotect kids. So if they have not listened to you, if the boundaries that you set were not followed, if they are continually on devices and uh, distracted quickly and not following through and and yelling at their sisters or whatever, a consequence for your choice to be mean-spirited is that we take certain devices away or certain games off the devices because we believe that these are the games that are training you training you mm-hmm. to behave in a certain way. That's mm-hmm. absolutely you're right. And I would say that we uh, take away things and train them in new ways at the same time. You can't assume that simply doing away with something will retrain their brain. The scripture teaches us you take off the old and you put on the new. Mm. And we have to get better at that. And then, of course, the middle verse, that's Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, the middle verse is renew the mind, and that happens with the Word of God. Mm, so good. That's so good. So I threw up this question, but I think, well, we'll go out of order because I saw this question first, but then um, Andrea had a question. So let me go with Hannah. Hannah is joining us via Facebook, and she writes, you say often in your books and talks that we can explain to our kids that treating them the same way when they are different is unfair. How can we help our differently abled children understand this in a way that shows compassion and is not seen as favoritism? That's good. That's a very good question, Will. I agree. And I love the phrase differently abled children. Praise God for that maturity <laughs> there. Um, I think how we I think our consistency and how we behave will be really a key. So we um we treat them differently because they're different. Um, so I'm being fair. It would be unfair to treat you the same because you're not the same. So that's the that's the theory behind it all. So um as long as the kid, the differently abled kid, feels treated respectfully and consistently and is given opportunities to shine and, and blossom, then I think everything will be okay. If they see that everybody else gets the lollipop, everybody else gets the positive you know, mm. thoughts thrown their way, then of course they're going to be jealous and resent that and think that, no, they're not being treated differently. They're being treated better. So let's keep track. And I think, you know, you guys, it must be so easy for parents to fall into traps and fall into patterns and fall into a rhythm that's not healthy. And then to break that rhythm is really hard. So ask somebody to hold you accountable. You know, keep track. You know, I, I'm not a you know record keeping kind of a person, but what if you use the notes on your phone or a or a little tally sheet on the refrigerator, and every time you compliment one kid, you put a tally mark, and at the end of the day, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, Peter has 17 tally marks and Jessica has three. Like I was not paying attention to Jessica today. 
because I don't I don't think we know sometimes what's going on and our kids may know or they may exaggerate and not know as well. Mm. I, I hope that makes sense. We um, yeah, good question. Good yeah, question. really good question. Can I I want to add to that question um, yeah. before we move on? My question on top of that question is how do we as parents check ourselves to make sure that if we've got a differently abled kid, that we are not giving that kid um, maybe a pass on some things that we might be tougher on mm. other kids regarding because we feel like, well, well, he or she can't or mm. he or she doesn't understand. You know, I have found with 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 myself mm -hmm. that I've had to check myself because I realize that I'm almost kind of like creating a rotten kid who feels <laughs> like, Hey, this works to my benefit. I often get some privileges. How do we as parents walk that back in a way that isn't harmful to the kid, but is also corrective for us? First thing I think of is, um, do you know your child well enough to know for sure what he or she is capable of and is not capable of? Hmm. So be careful that you're not assuming be careful that you're not using the past. You know, kids grow rapidly, right? Oh my goodness, from day to day, there can be changes in emotional, social, intellectual, spiritual, and physical growth. So be careful of that. Explain what you're doing. Look for evidence. Take pictures. Use movies on your phone for evidence of what they're capable of. And, and then when you think you're doubting, look back and go, wait a second. Last week, look what you did. Why am I not believing in you today? And I think we admit it and we talk out loud about it. And again, accountability with a spouse or a partner would be really helpful there. Okay, so let's go back to the technology question because um, Andrea had this question. She wants to know what you do with your 13-year-old boy who doesn't get electronic time except for TV. How do I keep him entertained when he lives with sisters? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ha-ha. Um, not ha -ha. funny, right? Right. <laughs> um, well, first of all, the three of us would say to Andrea, um, praise God, that there's only TV. And I would ask you the question, I would even ask you to, Make sure your TV watching is really smart watching. Mm, that's um, good. There's not a lot. There's not a lot there that's right. um, healthy necessarily. So be careful of that. But I want to acknowledge I'm proud of you for having a 13 year old boy who's apparently not gaming and not on these ridiculous um, social media sites that are so dangerous. So how do you keep him entertained when he lives with his sisters? Well, uh, jigsaw puzzles. I'm a huge fan. I'll talk about jigsaw puzzles until the day I die. My <laughs> brother and I are are close. I'm here in my brother's home for a month. Um, I, I grew up, Dave was my best friend. I could go on and on. We come from a great family. But we did jigsaw puzzles a lot. My mom and dad had it on a, on a square table in the living room, and we would sit down, and I would do a piece. And then Dave would, you know, hunker down, and he'd find a piece. And then my dad shows up, and he finds a piece. That's a way we became a close family. And so jigsaw puzzles for Logic Smart, Picture Smart kids are great and entertaining. Legos and all those kinds of things can be really good. If your son is inventive, if your son is creative, um, go to Hobby Lobby. That's not a store just for girls. Oh, mm -hmm. good heavens. And, and then have him serve and have him teach and have him train. Make sure that he's doing the responsibilities at home. I don't hmm. like the word chores. Uh, chore, I don't want to do a chore. But teach your kid the responsibilities that are theirs for age appropriateness because they're a part of a family unit and we serve each other. And make sure that he's doing those things. And that's not the purpose. That's not entertainment entertainment. That's all about being a part of a really healthy family. Um, ask him what he wants to do. Ask him what he wants to learn. Uh, what do you wish you knew more of? Ask the youth pastor and maybe a homeschool co-op teacher or a teacher if he's in the schools. What have you noticed about our son? What does he love to talk about? And maybe you guys do some investigation in that. And there's just, I think we got to get out of the box. There's just an awful lot that we can do. If you know my eight smarts book, he's smart in eight different ways and you can play in eight different ways. 
board games, right? Board games. Oh my goodness. To sit around the table and he can do that with his sisters. It's so healthy. You know, one of the things, and you've, you've said this before when we've interviewed you and it's, man, it's so jolting to hear, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but you say that if we allow our kids to be busy with technology because we want to be busy doing something else, that is to say busy, not being a parent, you know, then it can be really difficult for us to put parameters in place to protect them because it means then that we have to think through these things that are in the questions that we're asking tonight. Like, so what do we do? It's almost like we have to get back to the basics of parenting, which means that we engage, you know what I mean? Which I think technology has kind of given us a false sense of like, everybody's okay Mm -hmm. because everybody's doing something. But what we know now is that it's harming our children. That's really well stated. I understand that when we're fatigued, you know, we don't want to deal with a cranky kid or even a talkative chatty Kathy, if you will. Um, What's really scary for me or what's really troublesome for me is how often we fall into the screen. The very thing that disturbed us is where we turn. Mm. The, so if somebody, is, if somebody is depressed or in a depressed state or a sad state, they go to their device because they're, they've lost their ability to think creatively or to, out, to go outside of themselves and figure out who they could be in a different situation. So they pick up the device, the very thing that has caused the depression, which is the gamings that they lose and the filters that they try and they're still not pretty enough. And so it's, it's very concerning to me. This is why we have to have alternatives visible in our homes. Have the jigsaw, jigsaw puzzles out and the Sudoku books and the coloring books and the card games and the checkers and the chess and the soccer ball and the Frisbee at the back door so that we see there's something else that we could do. And then, you know, we look beyond ourselves and we choose to engage. We rest when we can rest. We make sure that we're eating well and drinking enough water. And then we play with our kids, you know, a little mm. bit of attention a little bit of attention goes a far way. Yeah, yeah, no, it's so good. And I, I feel like it's almost like the forgotten pastime, right? Because it <laughs> it can feel like inactivity to just be together. I, I feel like our culture has told us that we must always be doing something mm-hmm. outside oh. of our homes. We've got to be on the go. And so when we are inside our homes, it almost feels like, so we're, so right. we're good? Like, we're just here? You know like what I mean? How do we slow our lives down? Yeah. You yeah. Know, when it seems like there's always something to do, and maybe these are, are the ways to yeah. play games, to do things like that, um, to just give a, a sense of slowing down. And that family yeah. time, would, would it be okay, Dr. Kathy, to say that family time is legitimate time, that that is something on the calendar? <laughs> Let, let me think. Is it okay? Is that okay? <laughs> oh, come on. So let me let me ask you a question. Let me tell you. Maybe I'll ask it and then I'll tell you how I answered it. So mm-hmm. the last question I was asked on live radio this afternoon was, what's one piece of advice you have for families as they get closer to Christmas? Mm-hmm. Do you want to answer it or do you want me to answer it? No, I want you to answer. <laughs> of course I want you to answer. What did I, you say? I would, love, I would love to know what the two of you would say. So again, a broad question. What is one bit of advice for families who are listening as they approach Christmas. And the first words out of my mouth were rest more. Mm. Um, We're all busy and we're all overwhelmed. And when I look at meltdowns that adults and children have this season, it's fatigue. The second thing I said was quiet, quiet down. Mm. Um, Quiet restores our soul. And quiet is when wisdom rises. When the Mm. two of you are quiet, like you might be busy, emptying the dishwasher, driving somewhere, mowing the lawn, whatever. You might be busy, but when you're quiet, mm. don't you have ideas? Yes. You, you remember things, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes profound things and sometimes yeah. something simple like call my sister. When <laughs> we're quiet, we can connect. And when we rest, we find ourselves. And so 
the busyness <laughs> and always occupying our mind and our heart with stuff. No, even Jesus, busier than we will ever be with an agenda more important than ours. To mm. Mm. Man, it's compelling. You know, we have so one good. kid when it's quiet. He's like, why is it so quiet in here? <laughs> <laughs> like, it sticks out to him. It's like, man, what's going on? Why, yeah. why is it so quiet? You know, it's almost it, like a lost art. <laughs> it can be actually, Will, I'm glad you brought that up. Quiet can be very um, difficult for children who don't experience it. Mm. And yeah, and this is why they're bored. They're bored quickly, <laughs> and then they run to the next best greatest thing, and that's going to kill them one day. And I don't mm. say that lightly. We have got to get better at accepting the quiet because it's when we think and it's when we discover and it's when we can maybe honor others more highly than ourselves. Mm. Okay. Here's the next question. This is Mary Brooke. She says off topic. Well, no, all the questions are no. on topic. You're we're, we're just rapid fire here. So you're, you're good. So it says, um, I'd love to hear from Dr. Kathy on resiliency. How would you encourage resiliency in a four-year-old boy who doesn't like to do things he deems difficult and has an awfully strong reaction to tiny physical scrapes and bruises? How would you encourage resiliency in a four-year-old boy who doesn't like to do things he deems difficult and has an awful strong reaction to tiny physical scrapes and bruises. Oh, I'm so sad for you. That must be so hard. I love that you know him this well. I love that you know him this well. Um, first of all, the resiliency side of it, I have found that um, if everybody does something that nobody knows how to do, it can be very helpful for these young kids. They feel like they're always the ones catching up. Everybody else in the family has already done it. Everybody else is already good at it, right? So you teach them a new game, but everybody else already knows how to play it or whatever. So, you know, if, if let's say that this might be not a good example, but let's say that nobody in your family has ever done miniature golf. Mm -hmm. Then when everybody goes, now the older kids might still be better because they're older, but nobody's going to be great at it. Right. And so that might be really helpful. Maybe nobody has built a... Um, a castle out of cardboard boxes, you know, or maybe nobody in the family has, you know, fill in the blank. When you do it together as a family, then maybe the four-year-old kid is going to feel brave because he sees everybody being brave and nobody's good at it. And so I'm just like everybody else. So that could be a blessing. Um, a lot of it has to do with your communication and what it is that, how you respond, you know, to um, the success and, and the lack of success remind him of his successes, take pictures and video of his successes. And so when he freaks out, but wait, look at yesterday's, look at yesterday's assignment. Look at today's. They're exactly the same. You're going to do just fine or whatever it might be. And then boy, the physical scrapes and the bruises. Um, I'd, I'd actually, whew, if you have a good pediatrician, I, I think there's a lot of medical that, and there's a lot of things that are potentially medically related that we ignore. So I wonder if there's something going on there. I mean, seriously, is it possible that being highly sensitive to small scrapes, does that mean something? I don't know. But what if it did mean something? Hmm. Might be worth asking a question and be careful of Googling it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, we're all on the way to the emergency room if we Google things. Oh, my you know? goodness. Oh, man. <laughs> but it, there are real there are real people with real authority who yeah. you can talk to about stuff. And then, you know, if you were a little bit older, I'd probably say have a conversation. Um, I'd also be, you know, the two of you know that I'm big on patterns. No kid is 100%, 365, 24 seven a way. There's things that trigger their choices and their behaviors. So keep an eye on that. I wonder if it's only with mom that he freaks out or maybe mm. only with dad, or is it only when there's an older brother he's trying to impress? Um, so watch to see if the complaining 
and the lack of risk-taking occurs with either certain subjects or certain times of day, which could indicate fatigue or hunger, or certain people in the room, which could have something to do with bitterness, jealousy, competition, fear. Uh, keep an eye on that because I doubt it's a 365, 24-7 thing. Does that make sense? It does. I, I want to I wanna add to that question the emotional possibilities and ask you, as a parent, when should we observe what might be an overly emotional response to something like, let's say that there's not a medical situation. What if you've got a, a son who tends to be super emotional about things, not necessarily um, pain triggers, but just circumstances that the response may be an immediate outburst of crying mm. or screaming or running, like other than saying, Hey, quit that. Like, what would you, <laughs> what would you say to, to parents? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, thank you for being so real. Yeah, quit that. Um, <laughs> I'd love to, show me how. Um, right. You know, I, you know, and sometimes we say, why are you doing that? And I even say in my book about character, it's okay to ask kids, why are you doing that? Most of them won't know. Mm -hmm. um, even, even adults can't often identify why they're doing what they're doing. And yet asking the question, why are you responding the way you are? implies there should be a reason. So it might be that a few hours later, your son knocks on your door and says, hey, mom, I was thinking about what you were asking me and I have an idea. So that could be cool. Um, maturity, um, fatigue, fear, uh, jealousy. I think jealousy in the home between siblings is huge. Um, can we unpack that, Dr. Kathy? I, I know that there um, was a question after one of our interviews. I, I think we were talking about parent differently and we did it in two parts. And there was a specific question under one of those uh, videos over on YouTube where one of the moms said, how do you deal with jealousy among siblings? You know, I'm trying to balance my time. I'm trying to make sure that I give the proper attention. But my kids constantly seem to demonstrate that they are jealous of a sibling. Yeah. Um, how do we recognize that and, and, and then how do, how do we respond to it? No, it's really good. So jealousy, um, competition, it shows up as competition, shows up as fear. Um, I want to say to those moms that are trying to do that all, you can't be 100% fair all the time. Mm. Um, there's stuff that happens, you know, you, you run out of chocolate milk and the one that wants it best is waiting in line. I mean, <laughs> stuff happens. And if I don't know if you serve chocolate milk anymore. I remember being a school age kid. Chocolate milk was the dream. Like the days we got that, oh my goodness, this is amazing. It's disgusting, but it was so cool. But, um, but I want to say that, you know, trying to be fair, obviously being fair and responsible and um, not optimistic toward one and pessimistic toward another. Obviously you want to be as fair as you can. The reality is that you can't be all that fair. Stuff happens and they're different ages. And so it's not realistic. And I think we say that. I think we look at the kids in the eye and say, just stop the ridiculousness the expectation that you have, this would be the dad. I would love for the dad to say the expectation that you have on your mom is unfair. Mm. There are three, there are three of you, you're different ages, you're different skills. You have different likes and dislikes. We all know that your mom is doing this, 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 and this, and you are making her worry about whether or not she has clocked her time. Well, 10 minutes for each of you. It's, it's not, you're not being fair to her. Mm. It's a, it's a respect issue. I think we need to be really um, specific with our language. Right. So mm -hmm. I would, I would talk about that. Um, yeah, I could. Yeah, that's that's a tough question. Let me think more about that. Yeah. But we have another one from Erica. Yeah. So Erica says, how do you handle a child who, when seeing another sibling being complimented with intentionality, acts as if you have criticized them and then falls apart because you didn't give them a compliment as well in that moment? Oh, my goodness. 
Yeah. Great question, Erica. Yeah, raise, raise your hand if that's relevant, right? <laughs> um, so what I, what I believe, and I know you agree, is that there are beliefs that drive behavior. So um, can you put that question back on the screen? Yeah, absolutely. Me? Let me go back to it. Yeah, there was a lot there. Um, yeah, so you, you compliment one, and the sibling acts as if she's been criticized. So that is disrespect for the sibling. That is a disrespect for myself. God created me in his image. I am not my sister. So it's owning my individuality. It's respecting my sister. It's trust for my mom. Do you hear the character qualities? Mm. There, are, there are beliefs that I'm holding. And so they act as if they're criticized. So that's, that's jealousy. And I, I, I don't like my sister right now. Um, I love, Erica, that you say with intentionality, because the more specific our words are, mm -hmm. the more that the sibling should see that it was real. If I just say to a sibling, hey, that was really good. I loved that. Versus thank you for being so careful when you poured the milk. And I watched you use both hands and you didn't spill it. I'm proud of you for learning to be careful. It's a very different compliment from good. I loved that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, right. The more specific you are, the more the kid might be able to see that it's different. And I'm not that kid. Um, and then, you know what, Erica, I think you go up to the, the kid and you hug him and you say, what's up with this? You know, I thought you loved your sister. Why can't you let me affirm her? Mm. What, what are you afraid of? I think, we, I think we bend down, we talk quietly. I think we hug if we can. And we obviously make sure that we have, in fact, complimented this kid as well. Um, and I would also say to Erica and every other mom and dad that this is relevant for, this is a pride issue for this kid. This kid who feels criticized, that's pride. Mm. I'm so amazing. Mommy should notice me all of the time. It's pride, right? Pride is so stinking dangerous. Yes. And I, and I, I know in my life, um, boy, when it, when it rears up its ugly head in me, it's pride. Mm. Mm. Man, that's so good. Dr. Kathy, I love that you are taking this back to those character qualities. I think sometimes we really, we, and we're, we're wondering what our response needs to be, but I think we need to be open to exploring those character deficiencies. I know you cover this. We should leave it right there and pick up with part two on Monday. We're going to continue the discussion. We hope that you'll come back and join us. Remember, when you resist those cultural trends that rival the truth, you remain culture proof. Until next time, Lord willing. God bless. Hey, if you're listening to this podcast and you are enjoying what you hear, please remember to give it a rating or to leave a comment. Let people know that this podcast is a blessing to you. It helps to grow Culture Proof and we would be so grateful. Also, if you love Culture Proof and you want to support the ministry, why not pick up some merch and look <laughs> good while you support the ministry of Culture Proof? Check out every podcast. You'll find a link in the description to where you can get your Culture Proof merch and support support this ministry. We appreciate it.